On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're once more out in the wilderness with a feral teenage assassin in the return of Amazon's Hannah. Travelling back to 30s LA in the company of mischievous immortal demon Natalie Dormer in Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Finally, and I genuinely can't believe I'm saying this, we spend some time with Gary and Martin Kemp in post-Spandau ballet mockumentary The Kemp's All True. And if that's not a sign of the end times for this podcast, I don't know what is. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Rock Band, a group that will begin our inaugural tour gigging venues up and down the country as soon as the country reopens. Joining me, the Axeman, on stage for this week's (laughs) performance is a man who, like Martin Kemp himself, is a massive bassist. It's Boyd Hilton. How are you, Boyd? It's true, yeah. Me and and Martin Kemp have a lot in common. Um, You know, similarly handsome, charismatic... Uh, bass playing legends. He had a he had a very similar arc to yours, Boyd, in that he <laughs> he was he was it was suggested that he join his brother's band and he learned the bass in a fortnight. This mm. seems to be a yeah. trend with bass players. It, yeah, it wasn't my brother's band; it was my mate's band. But yeah, it's very close. Yeah, I can't help feeling it might have worked out a little bit better for him. But pressing on with us on tambourine, the queen of percussion and let's be honest the only one among us who can really claim to be even remotely rock and roll it's terry white hello joe um i was hoping we could meet your guitar this week is she around i have it just here hang on a second Okay, you just got her out of a box. I haven't got a case yet. Do not mock it. Do not mock my guitar. I don't think like Robert Plant has his guitar in a box. <laughs> in a cardboard yeah. box. In a cardboard box he keeps on the floor. It's Amazing. environmentally friendly. Look, this is my uh That's my that's my D chord there. That's good. Go good, good. Here's my here's my um this is my A chord. And then I've just I've just just learned the E chord, which is this one. Can you there put you them all together? <laughs> no. Can you play <laughs> three blind bags? No, I can do, I can do. Hang on, hang on. I did learn this. I did learn this. Hang on. There you go. That's what the, was no. that? <laughs> it's the theme to the Blues Brothers played really badly. Wow. Oh, yeah. I can't, oh, I can't do that uh, last bit. Oh, my God. Please stop. <laughs> This is like when I tried to learn three blind mice on the recorder when I was seven. (laughs) That's it. Put it back in its cardboard box. One won't hope happening to it. Look, I'm not saying I don't have a lot to learn. (laughs) Honestly, people have got to see the cardboard box. It's so great. What? It came in. It came in a box. And how do your fingers feel? They're quite painful, actually. Yeah. Yeah, my fingers are, they're, they're a little bit tender. They're a little bit tender. Uh, but they will improve. They will improve. I mean, you know, look, I'm not saying that I'm naturally gifted, but clearly I am a guitar prodigy in the making. From what I've just heard, you are absolutely <laughs> not naturally gifted. <laughs> well, we shall just agree to disagree there. Uh, right. Well, shall we move now from the musical arts to the televisual arts? What have we been watching this week um well i've been i have to say um uh it's not very on brand for this podcast but i have to say that uh premier league football has taken up a lot of my time because like there are about two or three matches every day 
on TV and um I should say Liverpool we're recording this on Friday Liverpool won the the uh, league last night big big uh, big up to them um congratulations to Chris Hewitt who I imagine will be trying to organize a special um empire podcast to celebrate um but what I've really been watching is I may destroy it which is basically one of the best things ever and I watched 10 and 11 so like, I'm up to the penultimate episode which will be on in a couple of weeks time and 10 and 11 are um just two of the most moving and spectacularly emotional episodes of TV I've ever seen. Um, you know, like how normal people took you to incredible emotional places that you invest in the characters. And when it gets to right towards the end, suddenly the episodes become even more relentlessly gripping. So yeah, I may just I'm watching you. it live as the episodes um, go out or drop because I'm trying to ration it for myself. I think she's created a really normal human being a really normal millennial and I think what's so bold about her performance is she's a really fascinating Mm. young woman and I think she's a really a real young woman um and I think that's part of what makes it so exciting and so bold with what she's doing um but I find it fascinating that anybody really that there's always a wider conversation about whether women are are, are likable and, and and whether you sympathize with them enough but no I think it's I think it's incredibly important good point because I do think I, I've seen a lot of people say on 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 social media that they, they don't like her in quotes and they'd find her unsympathetic I, I I totally agree with her I think I think she's I think she's a person I would love to spend time with that's the key and I think she's she's yeah. absolutely fearless in a depiction of characters so this group of this group this these three friends annoy each other or on a daily basis almost every scene where they're together and this carries on as it goes on they they say quite irritating annoying sometimes borderline careless things to each other and i feel it's so real i, I feel like that's exactly how these things work in real life you know in real life your friends do annoy you you know your partner might annoy you and she doesn't she doesn't um she she absolutely focuses on that but still maintaining that you want to be spend time with all of those people particularly her i think she's so interesting and what i'm uh, interesting what happens to kwame has this brilliant conversation this isn't a spoiler so watch out there's a conversation where he talks about uh, is he's not a nice guy like he sees himself as not a nice guy that's and i thought that was so interesting like he has this he's created a it's a lot of it's about creating personas for yourself to deal with what's going on in your life and um that will make comes even more powerful and extraordinary as the series goes on. And don't you think that yeah. that's an element I think of being young as well? Because what it brilliantly captures is that recklessness and that um, selfishness of being young. And you are yeah. almost trying on personas, and you're trying on who you think you are. And your friendships aren't always the healthiest friendships, or you don't always behave the best that you know. Hopefully, maturity brings to you, or or life brings to you. But I remember those kind of friendships when I was younger and and it didn't mean you didn't love each other or that you you know you didn't have special bonds but you weren't always careful with each other and you weren't always the best to each other and I think it brilliantly captures in a way that I think um you mentioned girls the other week but girls brilliantly captured those kind of toxic elements of even the best friendships when you are becoming an adult and learning who you are and learning your place in the world and you're still trying things on and taking them off and I think that kind of messiness and and chaos and slight edge to friendships when you're younger. I think it captures yeah. that. And also, I know it's become a cliche of, of like, you know, in the social media age, but it just kind of effortlessly, seemingly effortlessly, how people are dealing with Instagram and all of that is so brilliantly done as well. And how that does affect those friendships and relationships. That's particularly addressed, I think, in 
episode 10, I think. Yeah, there's a whole thing about her and her Instagram feed and TikTok and all of that. It's so it's just incredible. So yeah, that and one other thing I was going to mention is Dark, you know, the German series Dark, which um, we could have possibly reviewed mm. last week but it is on its third season and it's uh, it's it takes place in like about six different timelines characters turn out to be have like three or four mm. pers- versions of themselves and there's now an alternate reality a parallel universe thing going on it is the most but what i would say is if you get into it and if you pay attention to it and focus on it, it is the most oa like show for fans of the oa that there has been since the oa and obviously that's a huge recommendation terry what have you been watching um, so also, um, I may destroy you, which is also a pro- you know, it's, it's getting a lot of people talking and uh, about kind of the sympathy with the character, but also I saw a couple of good threads this week, um, from people saying, for the love of God, can we stop comparing things made by women? Because woman isn't a genre. So I think, you know, I just mentioned girls, but, um, I saw a few tweets this week that were like, um, I may destroy you is better than Fleabag. Um, and somebody rightly pointed out, um, Laura Barton, who's a journalist um, for The Guardian and for other people, you know, said, woman isn't a genre. So while mm-hmm. there, there may be certain similarities and also don't put women in competition with each other. So I think we've talked about this before. I think we did it about Game Face, actually, um, and Roisin Connerty and obviously what an amazing job she'd done. And that was kind of, you know the new flea bag everything's kind of the new flea bag and and while this obviously isn't i thought it was a really interesting point that we do naturally kind of rank those things against each other um which i don't think is the healthiest thing so that was a good reminder for me as well actually but i've also been watching because it should be glastonbury this weekend um <laughs> james that's a festival where oh Bands play. This is my ultimate destination, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is so. Um, you want to be on the pyramid stage. It's called. Um, so you know, give that a go. Maybe in uh, uh, another life. But and <laughs> I've been now. watching the the best. I was trying not to. I'm really gutted about um life being at standstill for many reasons. But Glastonbury not happening's you know a big thing and. I gave in. I was trying not to look at anything because it just made me feel a bit too sad. But I've been watching some of the like classic Glastonbury performances and it just makes you remember what a beautiful, communal, gorgeous, life-affirming experience going to Glastonbury is. But it's fine because I'm sat in a room on my own doing a podcast with you guys. So <laughs> and I've just heard James try and play guitar so i don't even think i need to go to glastonbury anymore you're sorted you don't need anything else what have you been watching james well you've already heard what i've been doing this week i have nailed nailed three separate chords so really i mean what other time could i possibly have had to watch things although i did i have been pressing on with my luther rewatch which uh which i've been enjoying enormously um it's really horrible like really really sadistic and brutal um so that was kind of the mood that i was in this week which was nice but uh yes i'm enjoying my my luther thing a lot of got some grief on on twitter for people saying i've clearly abandoned the americans uh berlin station and mercedes to just start watching luther and yes that is exactly what i've done sorry i I make no apologies all about the luther i shall go back to those at some (laughs) point but not today and that's all i've been watching so shall we move on now to a listener question and this week's question comes from branston at b in a pickle See what he did there. Uh, And he asks, which relatively minor character in a TV show deserves his or her spin-off series? What do you think, Terry? So I've got a little list. Um, 
a couple from Friends. I always thought Estelle, Joey's agent, should have her own spin-off show, which was just her, her and all, <laughs> all her terrible New York clients, including Joey. Will, when Brad Pitt came and joined for that one-off episode where he was Will, who was the guy who was mates with Ross in high school, um, and then left high school, got massively hot, lost loads of weight, and there's a, the whole funny thing about him not eating yams because, you know, he can't deal with either complex carbohydrates or Rachel Green, who bullied him in high school. So I could have taken more will. Lucy, um, the receptionist in Twin Peaks in the sheriff's department, who was um, completely mad and somehow was the person who held everything together, but incredible. And Jackie Tyler, so Rose's mum in Doctor Who, the 10th Doctor, as I always talk about, Jackie Tyler was such an interesting woman and you got snatches of her backstory, um, like the episode in which they go to the parallel universe and Rose meets her dad who had died in their universe, but in the parallel universe was alive. Um, and you started to see bits about her youth and about their early relationship and why they broke up. And she um, had been a single mum. Like, like I thought Jackie Tyler would have had the best spin-off series um and uh, do i have any more no that's it that's my list and they all and they all range from very minor to kind of oh one more spike so this is kind of cheating but um spike in buffy who you know has an incredibly interesting arc within buffy but also could have easily held his own series as could have anya as could have Willa, as could have Tara, actually. I mean, pretty much anybody else in Buffy could have also had their own spin-off. I'd have watched a William the Bloody series. <laughs> of course you would. Very good. Very good. Boys? Um, similarly uh, to Terry, I've kind of just done gone from characters who were like practically the second lead. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking of... of, uh, of um, Dolly Wells' Van Helsing in Dracula, who I think is oh. the greatest greatest kind of sight i mean she is still a sporting character i know she's but she is so brilliant in that show and i really genuinely would love to see and i and i almost half think they must be thinking about doing a, a series about her version of van helsing because it would be it would be so brilliant um whereas because the, the dracula story really did play out and that's it we don't need any more of dracula i think but we do absolutely do need more of her she could be hunting freaky creatures all over the world and it would be absolutely brilliant um a proper supporting character gil chesterton in fraser who was the restaurant critic the very um flamboyant shall we say quite effeminate restaurant critic who was nevertheless married um and was essentially a stereotype but so brilliantly written and performed and of course everyone who created fraser pretty much was gay so it was fine for them to create this this seemingly stereotypical character but he was so brilliantly um performed and he his dialogue was so fantastic. His pompous restaurant critic uh, stuff was so brilliant. Every single th- every single line he ever said in Frasier is brilliant. So I'd love to see. I'd love to have seen a show starring him. And Afterlife, Ricky Gervais's Afterlife. I think we've, we talked. I think we talked before that the ensemble in that is so brilliant. Every single character in that could warrant their own show. I think all the supporting characters. But I focused on Diane Morgan's character, Kath, who he always talks about. Ricky Gervais always talks about how she's like he imagined her as being one of the people who would apply to go on The Apprentice. And she's kind of has this kind of front and says ridiculous things that kind of lives her life as if she is kind of a bit like some normal person who's in a TV show like that. She is such a brilliantly funny presence anyway. I'd love to see a series about her. So, yeah, those are my picks. James. 
Hmm, who to pick from this? I would like to see a series based around Ron Butterfield, the head of President Bartlett's Secret Service detail, for he is godly. Uh, I think that would be great, watching him, you know, investigating things and being patronising. He's great, I love him. So Ron Butterfield, the series I could go for. Um, from Game of Thrones, a lot of people have talked about how they want to see stuff from Bronn or from, like, Tormund Giants Bay and sort of fan-favourite characters who didn't really get enough to do. I'm stumping for Lyanna Mormont, the series. Now, Terry, I appreciate that your knowledge of Game of Thrones is minimal, but even you must remember Bella Ramsey's turn as that brilliantly dour, like, you know, young girl leader of uh, House Mormont. Yes. yes, I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> exactly that. So I want to see <laughs> Leanna Mormont, the series. Uh, I think that would be amazing. What else do I like? Oh, from Friends. What about a Gunther? What about, would you see a Gunther spinoff? Would you watch no. that? No. Right. No, I always, when no. everybody start, I never got it. When everyone bangs on about Gunther, like he was, you know, he had a purpose there and it was a funny recur- recurring gag. But actually, when you see him try and act, it, he can't act. And it's funny because of that, because he's clumsy and awkward. But I don't think he's deliberately clumsy and awkward. I think his performance is clumsy and awkward. Do you know why that is? Why? Gunther was an extra. Do you know the story of mm. how Gunther got his yeah. job? Mm. But Gunther was an extra and they needed someone to work the coffee machine and he was a barista, so he worked the coffee machine and then he became a regular character <laughs> simply because he could work the coffee machine. I mean, he did quite well out of it, didn't he? I remember there was a whole period where nobody could get anybody from Friends to be interviewed, so they all just interviewed Gunther to try and by proxy get some information about Jennifer Aniston. It was Gunther and Janice, wasn't it? They used to mm. pimp them out for every press tour. Yeah. It was Gunther and oh, Janice. Yeah. Gunther's featured in Heat regularly, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could also see Ugly Naked Guy in the movie. That might be uh, an interesting uh, an mm. interesting deep dive into that character. Um, Creighton Barrel from Bosch. I enjoy a lot. The sort of older detectives who are always rattling around in the background. They're quite fun. Barb from Stranger Things. Hashtag justice for Barb. Mm. I'd quite like to know, you know, what yeah. happened to Barb after she was taken to the Upside Down? Who knows? Uh, and finally, Kenneth from 30 Rock, and not just because he's one of the highlights of that show, but also because there is a long-held belief that in the mythology of the show, Kenneth is in fact an immortal demon, and well, obviously immortal demons being a theme of this week's show, but is an immortal demon who has been alive for centuries. Uh, this is absolutely true, boy. Do you know this? Um, I've heard it, yeah. Yeah, so this yeah. is this is the, the mythology behind Kenneth, and I want to see Kenneth's life through the ages, torturing people, putting wrong what once went wrong, right and you know whatever it is immortal demons do i've met the guy jack mcbrayer the actor who plays kenneth and he is one of the nicest people he's such he's such a lovely guy and he's yeah that that is a brilliant character Mm. that show that is all i have for you so we've kind of sort of answered that question i mean terry's barely listening and boyd's doing something else so (laughs) let's move on from that particular segment sorry about that branston if you would like your question addressed then feel free to hurl it to us via dm at pilot tv mag or to me directly on twitter or Instagram, at James Dyer. Now on to some news. And people, what has been happening in the world? Well, people wanted us to talk about a specific trailer, right? Ah, Foundation, yeah. (laughs) So, did you watch the Foundation trailer? Yes. And what did you think, Terry? I thought, why is this like a weird, like, advert for Apple? There was a whole line about... 
Apple being the technology that's these that tries to change <laughs> oh, yeah. the world with good. And then I thought, oh my Christ, this looks like something James is going to get proper het up about. It looks amazing, doesn't oh, it? Oh God, I'm so excited about it. It's not due until next year, but I am counting down the days. I've never read the Isaac Asimov Foundation books, but Helen, Helen O'Hara on the Empire podcast did give us potted history or a foundation, if you will, to foundation. Uh, and it involves something called psychohistory, which is mental but uh, yes it's set over like five thousand years or something but this looks amazing and as i was saying on the empire podcast what i love about this is because it's apple you just know that there will be almost no notes on this and they'll just be like go nuts do something completely bonkers and we'll just put it out there and i am here for that but can you give us a potted history of it or or kind of a well I, ca- I can only give you a potted history to the extent that helen explained it to me so my understanding is that there's a huge galaxy spanning empire that has ruled the galaxy for millennia or whatever it is uh and then there is a character whose name i forget played by jared harris who is always brilliant therefore he will mm-hmm. be brilliant and he has developed this thing called psycho selden that's the one and he has developed this thing called psycho history whereby a bit like in equilibrium by looking at data you can predict the future so based on probabilities and stuff and he has predicted that this this empire this galaxy spanning empire is going to end and that they will be the galaxy will be in disarray for like hundreds of millennia and he says that he can he can limit the chaos to just five millennia so just a just a drop in the ocean by doing a few key things they can manipulate certain events to to project the history so they create this planet called foundation and then over the next five thousand years you see how all these things have kind of played out and as helen said this is this series looks like it's adapting foundation the first book and prelude to foundation the prequel where more stuff happens um so i guarantee terry you're going to hate every second of this but i am going to love it and i cannot wait and it will be amazing David Escoria is the showrunner, That's right? right. He, he, he was the one pimping out Apple in the little uh, featurette. Yeah, yeah, because it, it was it was part of Apple's big, like you know, big unveiling of yeah. operating I mean, it's a, systems. It's a big deal, like that, and and yeah. Ian Banks, like the culture, like these are big, big sort of sure. You know, but part, uh, but what I mean things. is, it wasn't just like they didn't just unveil the trailer on its own. It was part of Apple's product launch, effectively, yes. wasn't it? Of yes. everything yes. they're doing at the moment. Yes, yeah, interestingly. Uh, but David Escoria goes from the terrible to the brilliant, doesn't he? Because like he did. Batman, Superman, Dawn of Justice, but he also did The Dark Knight and Dark City, and yeah, yeah he's done, so. he's done, he's done some good, very, very good things, and some very yeah. less good things. But yeah. uh, I've got a lot of time for David Goyer. I think he's great. So but very incredible about foundation. But there's, but that's, but again, it, it, it speaks to Apple's strengths, doesn't it? Like this kind of thing, it's like doing something that, like, oh, this is. People have always said foundation is unfilmable, and in all likelihood, it is unfilmable. But that's kind of where Apple lives, isn't it? Like, fuck it, it's unfilmable, do it. Uh, mm. And I think that's brilliant. Um, they've also they announced they were doing. Uh, have you seen this this Lord and Miller comedy series After Party uh, that they're uh, that they've been putting yes. together the After Party. It's a murder mystery comedy, and it's set at, a, at the after party of a high school reunion. Uh, and it's essentially the same night retold eight different times from a different character's perspective, each with their own kind of, I think they're doing different visual styles for each one uh, and, and a different sort of almost like a genre, like a tonal genre shift for each one. So while that multiple perspective thing isn't new, it sounds like they're doing something quite fun with it. And also it's Lord Miller. I mean, what's not to love? Um, can we yeah. talk about normal people? Oh, yes. This is exciting. Well, is it? Is it? I mean, is it, it is, it's fun, <laughs> isn't it? So do you want to say what it, it is? It is. Well, yeah. So um, for Comic Relief, there are going to be two, I believe, um, short, normal people, spin-off, well, spin-off, not spin-offs, two specials showing what um, Connell and Marianne are up to 40 years later. Um, and 
obviously Paul Mescal's back, Daisy Edgar Jones, as well as Lenny Abram Abram I can never say it. Lenny Abramson, um, who were all returning, and he said, there's a beautiful piece called Normal Older People, which is in imagining what would have happened to Marianne and Connell 40 years from now. Um, and But then hinted that there's going to be some kind of big guest star. Um, he said, I mean, I can't even say all about it because there's a guest star in it. I don't know who that guest star is, Boyd? But TV Boyd Hilton? No, I don't know. Who do you think? No. It's me. I'm playing the guitar on the soundtrack. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? You're being David Brent. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, it's it's obviously going to be a joke, right? Some kind of parody. One would think, yeah. I'd hope. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I will take anything. I will literally take anything from those two people, um, quite frankly. And that's next Friday, I believe, BBC One. The sketches, the sketches, yeah. yeah. It's tonight, yeah. It's, so it's in Ireland. It's Irish. It's Irish comic relief, RT, yeah. And it's going Will out tonight. So by the time this comes... Well, that's the thing. I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I presume they'll put them online after they go out. That's my guess. Mm. That's, I think they do that with um, the comic relief special sketches anyway. So I think by the time this podcast goes out on Monday, I think we, we'll have been able to see it yeah, oh, okay. online. See them, the sketches, yeah. There was another um, big science fiction trailer um, do you see the Brave New World trailer? I didn't Which actually know. Yeah, uh, that's just uh, just been um, just dropped today. I think probably. So you, you're probably too busy writing a script, James, and playing the guitar. Um, <laughs> I was jamming. It's true. But it stars Alden Ehrenreich, um, who is brilliant in everything. Well, most things apart from that boring um, Star Wars prequel. That wasn't his fault. Um, and Jessica Brown Finlay and Harry Lloyd. And, but it looks like an. It's an absolute. It's a kind of very. Um, up-to-date modern version telling of that um, Aldous Huxley novel, which is all about a kind of um, a, a, a seeming utopia that turns out to be a dystopia. And um, it looks absolutely as lavish and elaborate and beautifully production designed and interesting, um, as you might hope. I thought it looked really good. So Brave New World, which will be out, I think, in the autumn on Sky. No, I missed that. I'll have to have a look. I've never, I've never read... Um... Brave New World. Yeah. <laughs> I've never read it. Anyway, um, Lucifer's been renewed for a sixth and final season. I think season five is uh, on Netflix in August, but there will, in fact, now be a sixth and final one, which I think they hinted at. They'd hinted at slightly, but uh, like, I think Tom Ellis had dropped notes that he might be doing it, but that's definitely happening now. Uh, what is happened? Gangs of London's been renewed for a second season. That's very exciting, yeah. if not surprising, given how successful it was. But uh, weirdly, I thought this week's been quite quiet on the TV news front. There's not actually been a lot going on. Mm. Please tell me there's something other than this. This is literally all of news. There's also there's trailer. There's also Handmaid's Tale trailer. Did you see that first oh, one for the, for the next season? I, I, yeah. I don't watch Handmaid's Tale anymore. Oh, yeah, it's too grim for you, isn't it? It is. Did yeah. you finish that? I don't think you did. Did no. you? You didn't finish no. it, did you? No, I bowed out. Was it too grim for you? Surely not. No, it wasn't even that it was... Because it, it, it was the season before it got unrelentingly grim and I couldn't handle mm. it and I bowed out and I came back... Um, it just it just lost me in the avalanche of other great stuff. I just didn't feel mm. compelled to to finish it. Well, the the trailer for the next series is quite a rousing kind of. She's going to be leading Elizabeth Moss is going to be leading like the rousing, rousing, uh, rousing, uh, not our rousing. Wow, steady. This is a bold new direction for that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was no. like, this is a bold bold new direction for Boyd. Never mind the show. It was rousing, not arousing. Okay. And um, I was roused, not aroused. Um, and she she is kind of like she's going to lead the fight against 
the oppressive regime, the Gilead regime. So it looked, it, I thought it looked quite exciting. It's, I'm not it's, using that it word again. It has threatened to get exciting for some years now. And, and, yeah, and I mean, I'm, they're stretching out a, 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 a one novel. Well, of course, the, the sequel came out, didn't it, la, la, last year, earlier this year? But, yeah, yeah, I don't know I how mean, connected this is to that, though. I mean, I've not read it, so I don't know. No. But So they complete the first novel, don't they, in the first season of this, and then it's kind of it's yeah. been meandering ever since. <laughs> but, I, uh, I think people still love it, by the way. I, yeah. And you, you, you don't know if it's been meandering because you don't watch it. You're well, no, assuming it's chunk of season two and then i watched the ch- the first bit of season three as well and both times the season two was mainly i just thought this is too grim i can't watch this and since season three it was like okay no this is fine and then i watched a bit more and i was like mm, I'm, nah. and then as terry said i got distracted possibly by a shiny object <laughs> by a spaceship i'm sure yeah <laughs> yeah by isaac asimov's foundation um yeah so that's that have we have we bringing news to a to a to an early close then? Yes, to a whimpering close. That 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 was news this week. Sorry, folks, nothing is going on in the world of television of note. Fine. Well, then we will press on with this week's reviews, which begin this week with the return of John Logan's Penny Dreadful in companion series City of Angels, which we would have heard about last week from the mouth of its star Natalie Dormer, where she spoke to Boyd. Uh, so this one's set fifty years after the original show, and it sees Dormer as the demon Magda, stoking racial tensions in 30s Los Angeles. So sort of think Ryan Murphy's Hollywood, only with more demonic intervention. Uh, And who better, of course, who better to tell us about a supernatural drama involving a shape-shifting malevolent deity than our very own similar being, (laughs) Terry White. (laughs) Terry... A dreadful penny for your thoughts. Uh, um, oh, I had money on you saying Terry was it dreadful, um, but I think your 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 bit may be better. Um, so of course you were fucking going to give this one to me. Um, uh, so first things first, um, I did not watch Penny Dreadful, um, so I'm sure that won't be at all unhelpful. But I am assured by the internet that this isn't um, essentially a sequel or. A, it's not like an anthology series. Um, this is a what did you call it? Companion series. It's a a spin-off, right? Yeah. So they're they yeah. from what I've read about Penny Dreadful and from what I've seen of this, um, that in and of itself may be a slight problem because I presume Penny Dreadful comes with certain kind of um uh, assumptions and certain things you'd expect to see. Now, John Logan, who obviously did Penny Dreadful and has written all of these, he he describes it as there being a thread and a theme between the shows. Um, but the main difference seems to be, and it's set up in this kind of not very subtle intro, I'd say, <laughs> which is kind of about, you know, this isn't about an a um external uh, manifestation of of evil. This is about the innate evil that lurks within us all as humans or as i wrote last night after two glasses of wine um this is about the humanity no the evil roaming within our humanity um so i don't quite know what i meant by that but yeah it's it's it sets it up with this opening scene where you've got natalie dormer who is like you can tell she's dead evil she's dressed in leather She's in some field um, and basically she <laughs> sets it on fire and kills loads of people. That is not a spoiler. That happens pretty much immediately. And she says that she believes that all mankind needs to be the monster he truly is, is being told he can. So um, this sets up this premise where then she plans to kind of prove this. She's saying this to this other whole, whole angel of death, I believe. It's all quite confusing. 
and says, mm. you know, she's going to prove this by essentially um, whispering to people and letting them be who they are. Her her um, uh, assertion is that we are all evil within. So she there's this opening scene and she kills all these people and this young boy witnesses his father being killed um, and then it flashes forward to um, a few decades later and that boy is now becoming a police officer. Boyd's favourite flash forward thing. <laughs> and, you know, it isn't, I suppose, what 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 I struggled with a bit with this is it. there isn't any subtlety employed in the show, right? So he's longed to be a detective all his life. You know this because he gets his... Um, he gets his detective's badge and he puts it on his bedside table and he stares at it as he goes to sleep. There's those kind of things, those kind of heavy-handed pieces of exposition and storytelling, which you really, really kind of, there isn't much nuance in those things. And I suppose I found the, the whole thing a little bit melodramatic. Can I say that? The score, the kind of performances, the dialogue, maybe it's meant to be, maybe it being overblown is its thing. Um, but that kind of rankled me a little bit and I found it quite um, uh, irritating in places. I will say Dormer, I think, is actually kind of great. She is kind of OTT in, in lots of things because she's this supernatural demon who can take the form of, of anybody she chooses and she takes the form of human beings to whisper in other human beings' ears to kind of get them to do the evil that she thinks is is within us all. So I think throughout the series she has four different personas. Um, uh, yeah. I think we see two in the first episode. And I, I mean, look, her German accent may not be perfect. Again, I'm not sure if it's meant to be <laughs> perfect, but I enjoyed Dorma in this. She's there's something kind of quite compelling about her. When she gets to be kind of full evil, it's quite campy. It's quite um, OTT. I found her really super engaging. I think she's incredible in it. I mean, it's got a great cast. Nathan Lane um, is um, the partner. Rory Kinnear is playing a German uh, pediatrician. <laughs> The, it, like brilliantly, his gem. You know, there's there's some there's some uh, difference in everyone's German accents in this. But I watched the first episode and I did find it quite confusing. So Nathan Lane plays kind of a veteran cop who is partnered with um, uh, Detective Vega, who is played by Daniel Zavato. And so you have the case that they're working. You have this thread about Nazism and Germany. Um, obviously, you have the kind of demon threads. I found it on oh, there's lots of like mexican day of the dead stuff in there as well i found it a little bit hard to follow in places because there were so many like little subplots competing for your attention i mean look dorma is like i said i really enjoyed dorma i think her she the her different characters i found super interesting i think she gave a great performance um there were certain bits where I definitely didn't have any idea what was going on. I can't tell you if it is um, in the spirit or the vein of Penny Dreadful because um, I didn't watch it. So, I mean, I will not continue watching this and it didn't give me a great deal. And as I said, it does verge on on melodrama and very soapy and uh, and that kind of didn't work for me. But maybe if you're you, James... 
this has more to offer. <laughs> I, I think actually your issues with this may have got worse if you watch more episodes. This, this I think, is a show that spreads itself quite thin in that it gets more convoluted as it goes along. It likes to juggle a great many different storylines. And it's it's it seems to be trying to take on like a dozen different character studies at once. And uh, that's a very difficult thing to do well. <laughs> I think a lot of shows do, like Game of Thrones, early Game of Thrones did it very, very well. But... Um, I think a lot of characters in this get lost in the mix. And I think it's quite easy to get a little bit bewilderingly lost as to who you're supposed to be interested in, who you're supposed to care about. Uh, as I said, I think Magda's a fascinating character and her sister, uh, Santa Muerte. And I think Dorma's, Dorma's a lot of fun when she's on screen. I also did enjoy Rory Kinnear as the Nazi doctor. <laughs> Um, and it's it's an interesting slice of time you know so it's sort of just pre-world war ii it's uh you know where everything's heating up in europe but america is very firmly out of that and it's that was a really interesting part of history that i've seen the idea that you know there there were literally there's a guy in it with a nazi swastika flag walking through la and no one bats an eye because it's not that much of an issue at this stage and it's just that that i found quite interesting and i enjoyed i found a certain amount of like uh, michael gladys who plays the um the counselor like that was a little bit ham-fisted scheming why i'll get away with this like corrupt counselor type guy didn't i didn't particularly enjoy that i thought it was a bit heavy-handed but i the mythology of it fascinated me and there's something about and this is a very me thing there's something about the idea of like you know demonic beings walking among us and there's a standoff between two sides at one point a kind of quite sort of powder keg type confrontation where she's whispering poison in various people's ears to sort of strike the match and set it off and i quite like that i'm kind of interested to see where this goes i did watch penny dreadful but not all the way through so i watched the first few of those uh josh hartnett and eva green in that i mean it was demented but it's quite fun and i think logan does a really good job of sort of building a sort of a world like a web of mythology and characters and how they all interact with each other so so i think this this probably has potential i get certainly the impression for this one that it maybe won't be quite as good as the original penny dreadful i think maybe it is a little bit stretched thin but but this has not lost me i will i will see where this goes because that conceit, right, at the heart of of a lot of the stuff, even like stuff like Charmed, right, which I love, that that belief that maybe human beings, maybe we all have evil within and maybe all we need is the right circumstance and the wrong person or the right person um, uh, talking to us for that to manifest itself. And maybe we're all always walking that line um, of trying to be good and trying to be decent. And... Um, and I did, I thought there's some of the stuff that was very relevant. You could see echoes of today, you know, that voiceover narration she does at the beginning. It, 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 there's definite resonance with, um, where we are and, and some of the, th- and that's, that scene you're talking about. There's a scene where he opens a cupboard and in it, there's his uniform and the, and the flag and you and that's quite shocking and then you see him walking through the streets of america and then you think about some of the things we still see these days um and that's really powerful it's where for me that i most enjoyed it when it was that and then when you were kind Mm. of diverted to some of the other subplots it kind of lost me and i i wasn't always sure how those subplots related to the the kind of main story or even if that was the main story if you see what i mean because the actual title of it, Penny Dreadful, it's it's horror. It's drawn from horror, but the horror, which is very present in the original Penny Dreadful, seems to be lost here. Like yeah, there's nothing not in here scary. that's really horrific or scary or it's disturbing, and it seems to be more about inner demons. Even though it has actual demons in it, it seems to be looking very internally. And and, and while the supernatural stuff is there, it's not it's not sinister 
in the same way that it's you know that it mm. leans into the horror stuff in, in the first one so i mean who knows who knows boyd are you what did you think i i don't i, I never thought the original penny i like penny dreadful the original but i never thought it was scary either i, I think what john logan does is and i think he's this is deliberate is to take kind of horror ideas and um uh, and kind of actually almost defang them but by kind of making so in in the original penny dreadful you had Dracula's and Frankenstein's and um, and Dorian Gray, all these kind of literary yeah. figures, and he kind of made them less scary than they were in their original form. In a way, I always thought, and I thought, like, I think he just wants to explore, you know, in that in, in that case, Victorian London and what was considered ideas of good and evil in that context. And in this, I feel like this series, it's such. I thought it was so. I watched it twice because you know, for the for the interview with Natalie Dormer, I kind of. I kind of said this to her. I feel, felt to me like this is John Logan wanted to explore racism in, you know, the 30s Hollywood and LA, as you say, with these Nazis running amok, which did happen. There was this German-American Nazi organization right up until the outbreak of, 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 the, of World War II. And Mexican-American culture and this whole idea of this Pachuco thing of, of this was a kind of like a, um, a kind of very stylish dance music craze thing and Mexican-American um, mythology and um, uh, there's and the who done it there's the who done it with Nathan Lane um, and Daniel Zavato um, investigating this murder of these four people who are found mutilated at the beginning which is Chinatown basically that's like it's so much like Chinatown that you expect you know Jack Nicholson to wander in um, with his nose <laughs> fucked up and everything um, and then you've got, but the whole supernatural element and I don't I'd ra- I just would rather that wasn't there really to be honest. That's why. That's my main thing. Watching, I was really interested in these Nazis that really were around, and I was really interested in the Mexican Americans having their community destroyed by the first freeway in LA, which really was the the case, and the unions and the, and the battle between the left wing kind of unionized element of that community and the more traditional elements. And I was really fascinated in the Jewish detective Nathan Lane partnered with the first ever. Um, Mexican American detective, all of that, but I just didn't need the whole that that, that opening prologue with the special effects you're talking about, which weren't great. I agree. I was like, I don't need that bit. I I, I just wanted to see a drama about all the other stuff. <laughs> and who done it would have been fine, like the with the crime that would have been fine, and I would have been fine because Natalie Dormer is brilliant in all those characters, but she could have played four different characters in any in, in the show anyway. I've been fine with that. So it's the whole the demons thing. I just found completely almost like irrelevant and, and uninteresting because how interesting is it that you know if if, if if the riot breaks out at the end of the first episode right which was really really brilliantly done i thought that was really well directed and and staged and quite spectacular but what's interesting about that is these this conflict between these these you know the police and the city officials mm. and the mexican-american community i don't need a demon whispering to people in the middle of it for me that almost detracts do you know what I mean? From what was a depiction of racism in that era, which is what's going on, and exploitation and class conflict, it almost detracts having the, the supernatural element. So it's a bit, it's a weird, I, but I will carry on watching it because I'm really interested in all the stuff that it's addressing and all these different ideas and all these different communities and the Nazis and everything. I think that was fascinating. I just, just don't need the fucking demon stuff over it. But 
That's that's just my genuine experience watching it. I found it weird. And I, I, what I compare it to is Watchmen, because Watchmen took, so remember, it started out with that 1921 Tulsa mm. massacre of um, the black community, which really did happen. It took that historical event, which has, of course, since become incredibly um, pertinent and yeah. relevant and topical in the Black Lives Matter movement. It took that and it brilliantly used fantasy genre to explore racism in America. That's what the Watchmen TV series does. And I love the way that did that. I think this is trying to do a similar thing, a dark fantasy, exploring racism and all of that. But I just don't, I feel like the dark fantasy element is really, really stretching it in this series. That's my issue with it. See, the demon stuff was my favourite bit. Yeah, that was my favourite <laughs> bit. But I suppose if you take out <laughs> the supernatural stuff, does it then have no commonality with Penny Dreadful? No, oh, yeah. oh, it wouldn't then at all. Yeah, I mean, by saying hundred percent, it would be completely different, and it's and it's and it's just kind of a stupid thing to say because yeah, I'm, I'm basically saying just ditch the whole idea of it being penny dreadful. <laughs> Give me City of Angels, <laughs> and, you know, a nine hour miniseries about with with uh, detectives investigating that murder, um, and I'll be fine. Yeah, I just found the the demons a bit. <laughs> so what? You know, they're not scary. They're not. Say, no. the but point? I feel that almost any series can be dramatically improved by the introduction of, of malevolent demons. So uh, <laughs> Fine. big on that. But anyway, that is Penny Dreadful, and it does turn up. It aired in the US uh, earlier this year, and it airs here on Sky Atlantic beginning on Wednesday, July the 1st at 9pm. Next up this week, we have season two of Amazon's Hannah, in which Esme Creed Miles returns as the pint-sized assassin who, having survived the showdown at the secret training facility at the end of season one, is now camping in the woods with Yasmin Monet Prince, while Mireille Enos, the baddie, turned goody, turned not really surey, is back on the trail. Boyd, hit girl or miss girl? Um, more of a hit than I was expecting. I think. I think. Did we? I think we reviewed the first we didn't season. Did yeah. I interviewed uh, Joel Kinnaman and Mira Enos as well? Joel Kinnaman right. is not in the first episode no. of this. I am unsure whether he's in this series at all. That he was renewed for season two, so if he's not, I don't know what's going on. Um, well, he's not in the first episode. We can say that Joel Kinnaman is absolutely one hundred percent not in the first episode. Dermot Mulroney is though. Yes, Dermot Mulroney arrives as the big new character who is in charge of the ludicrous. I say ludicrous like the 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 program yeah, Justine which Bourne. Takes, yeah, it is. It is. We should say the whole concept is young female born identity type yeah. people who have essentially been hot housed, created with some in some weird process, and they they are designed to be part of a force of teenage assassins. Um, and they've all kind of given these fictional lives, fictional parents and families, but in reality they're being exploited by the state, which I think you know is an interesting idea. Um, and the original, I mean, I never, I think the original Hannah, the film, I probably said this in, in, when reviewing the first yeah. season, I, I wasn't that huge a fan of that film anyway, despite an incredible amount of talent involved. It's heavily stylized, isn't it? Like it's a proper little heavily stylized. You know, fairy tale yeah. story from Joe Wright. Right. But I do think, I would credit, David Farr is the, is the showrunner of this, who um, wrote The Night Manager. And I think he is very good at taking fairly hoary old ideas and kind of quite cliched concepts and basic, and as you say, a, 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 a premise that is so similar to Born Identity, it, it almost feels like a ripoff, but I don't, I, I'm not saying it is. And we've seen plenty of teenage female assassins as well, by the way. There are quite a few films, um, which exploit that idea. He's good at taking these, these, not particularly original ideas, and actually making, I would say, fairly compelling um, TV out of them. I like, I think it's beautifully shot. I like the kind of cold, stark 
visual quality it has to it. I mm. really like, you know, it kind of like the scenes shot in the woods and all of it's that. I think are beautifully done. Very Eastern European um, aesthetic. Yeah, it's really, it really, it's really got that kind of yeah, almost like Scandi noir quality to it sometimes. Um, so I really like the look and feel of it. And I was fairly gripped by it by this first episode. And everyone in it, Esme Creed Miles is great. Yasmin Monet Prince is fantastic. Um, and Mireille Enos, she's my, she's the, I think she's the mo- most valuable player because I think she's great. And you're not so sure the extent to which she's invested in um, the the teenage um, assassins or whether she's kind of fighting against the state and fighting against... Um, she's kind of, Her and Dermot Moroni, those scenes together, I thought were really good, them butting up against each other. And it has a pretty... And the action sequences are pretty, are pretty well done as well. So I think it's like... It's, it's, it's decent. I think it's really well done. I, I think there was some clunky dialogue, clunky exposition in the first episode to explain the point we've got to after the first series. But once it's got beyond that, I thought it was pretty impressively done if this had come it's the kind of show i feel like if this had come out like five years ago you know before netflix took over the world it was you'd think oh this is a pretty good this is a pretty amazing cinematic show which has got brilliant production values and everyone involved is very talented but it doesn't quite feel like an amazing show now because we see so many great tv shows every single week but i think it's it's pretty decent yeah, I, I watched all of season one of this, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, uh, it. It wasn't the fastest paced, but it did kind of build ahead of steam as it got towards the end, and I enjoyed where it went. This one feels like it has a slight change of tone. I think the, I, like I said, I don't know, like I feel like, like Joel Kinnaman isn't in this, um, which seems like an odd choice, and, and it feels like Mireille Enos maybe has slipped more into the same role that he served in the first one uh and but what this has done is this is this kind of explores the you know hannah's equivalent of the treadstone project treadstone slightly more blackbriar where you see them sort of creating these girl assassins and then placing them giving them identities and how these girls are struggling with that idea of not having your own identity and can you adopt this artificial one and, and the one in particular is sort of almost absorbing this false identity and clinging to it and making it real and it's how even though they're essentially trained killing machines it kind of looks inside the killing machines at the human being within them and that's something i mean this is a well-worn trope but i think that's something that isn't often explored fully it's like they're not all faceless killers it's like they're actual humans with psychological problems um so it, it does delve into that as well and esme creed miles is a lot of is a lot of fun to watch in this as is marina so yeah i'm i'm gonna keep watching this and, and and see where it goes i'm not i'm genuinely not sure at this stage i feel dermot moroni who i enjoy in most things might be a little bit um shall we say archetypal in this but who knows maybe there are hidden depths i will not judge uh, terry how much of season one of this did you watch so i was trying to remember and then i remember reviewing it and i think i did the first two episodes and i remember liking it but i have to say i really loved this first episode of season two and it and it, it made me want to go back and um redo season one from the start because I found this whole conceit, especially broadening it out um to these other girls. And they've built almost like it's like a um almost like a boarding school or something um where all these girls are learning uh, their new identities. I found it incredibly moving. I have to say I was quite surprised at how moving I found it. The one mm. girl you're talking about, Anya Rose Daly, who plays Sandy, she was, I found her incredibly moving in this episode. So she, as you said, is giving this new identity. They're given these kind of scrapbooks, which have details and pictures 
um, importantly, of their parents, of their siblings, of their boyfriends, if they have one. Um, and they get this room that they live in that looks like a teenage bedroom with, you know, kind of motivational quotes and posters. Um, and they're all given these identities. And, you know, it, as you say, it's been done before, but it's all this fascinating stuff about how our identities are shaped and what defines us. And you see these young girls at this, um, you know, teenage, in these teenage years, 16 or whatever, kind of trying on these identities and you see her longing for a normal family and longing for love and um, getting fully immersed in this identity um, she's been given. You know, she, her brother and her don't get on. She's got a sister who's unwell, who takes all the attention. Like she fully immerses herself in this and you see her become attached to this life that isn't hers, but that she's going to have to kind of adopt. And that re actually really got me. Um, and there's lots of things about identity, um, about who we are, about trying to find out who we are. And it isn't completely original and new, but there was something about it and something about the way that girls become women and about how they form their identities that I found incredibly compelling, incredibly, incredibly compelling. And it has all the good stuff from the first season so there isn't a huge amount of action in this first one but the action that there is 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 done incredibly well um and yeah i i don't remember liking it as much as i enjoyed this first one and it's incredibly slick and it looks fantastic um esme creed miles is amazing and um yeah dermot mulroney you know he's quite an archetypal dick but um yeah this this i'm i'm quite excited about this now and i'm going to go back and watch um mm. season one and crack through into season two i don't know if it was i don't know i don't know if it's me as a woman kind of being drawn to all that stuff about how how our identities as as women are shaped i don't know i found it really really compelling mm. No, it was moving that element. Yeah. yeah I, I agree with you that, that you're right. That, and in fact, the whole academy thing, which is a bit like the X-Men Academy, wasn't it? Like, yeah. um, I thought was, was well done. And the final, one of the final scenes, I think, of episode one is, is, is really moving. I, I, so, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I, think, I think that was a good element. It's, there's a lot of sort of like the connections between mothers and daughters. Yes, exactly. Well, it be interesting to see where this one goes. So I was going to say, Joel Kinnaman has a habit of doing one season of a, a very lavish, <laughs> <Yeah>. elaborate... Um, <laughs> he's pulled an altered ...streaming TV series. Yeah, yeah. It was an auto carb, and then he dropped out of that, and then he's in Hannah and dropped out of this. Well, it remains to be seen whether anyway. Anthony Mackie will turn up here as uh, Eric 2.0. Yeah. We'll have to find out. Yeah. But uh, this drops in its entirety on Amazon on Friday, the 3rd of July. Finally, this week, and for reasons I still don't fully understand, we have The Kemp's Colon All True, a mockumentary about the former craze and Spandau ballerinos in which we catch up with Gary and Martin Kemp as they record a fictional charity album and bicker about a great many things I don't fully understand. Now, Terry, I could ask you if this is gold, but really I just want to know what the hell is going on. Oh, my God. So I watched this last night and all the way through I was thinking, why can't I be in James Dyer's house watching him spin out <laughs> as we make him watch this? This is like me on sci-fi. This is incredible. I so enjoyed this and this is going to massively split people. I'm going to say it now because I watched it with somebody else and that person was like, why are you laughing so much? This is fucking rubbish. And I was literally... <laughs> 
bent over double at one point laughing. So you are either going to think this is one of the funniest things you've seen or you're going to hate every second of it. Um, So just to explain what it is, kind of, um, what people have been comparing it to is um, After the Screaming Stops, which was the Bross mockumentary. Obviously, Bross themselves are a real group, but it is a spoof documentary. Now, in recent interviews for The Times... The Kemp brothers, who were the two members of Spandau Ballet in this, uh, were at great pains to kind of say it it wasn't, the idea didn't come from there, that it was written before, um, after the screaming stops. So I think that's in, important to point out. But it, it kind of shares a lot of DNA, as you'd expect. It's by um, Reese Thomas, who has kind of form in this area. Um, so he's obviously a comedian, a director. He did um, Star Stories, Fast Show, Nathan Barley. But he did this thing, um, The Life of Rock, with, or was it Brian Perna Life in Rock, which was a, a spoof documentary series, which was uh, written by him and Simon Day, starring Simon Day. Obviously, that's slightly different because that was kind of a fake rock star, but it was the same kind of basic setup. Now, it's him as a documentary maker being given this incredible access to Gary Martin Kemp after Spandau's 40th anniversary celebrations. That's the basic setup. It then has the most brilliant kind of wider cast Um from everybody from Shirley, who's um, um, Martin Kemp's wife, um, but was obviously also in Pepsi and Shirley. Um, Daniel Mays is in there. Um, Lucy Montgomery is in there, who is Reese Thompson's wife, but is obviously also um, a comedian in her own right. Christopher Eccleston pops up. Um, Perry Benson as their brother, Roth Kemp. Not that one, which is a running gag all the way through. Uh, Simon Day, Anna Maxwell Martin is in there playing um, uh, Gary Kemp's wife. Um, It's so brilliant. And what I loved about it was it does what all those things does well, right? Which is it plugs into those brilliant bits of mythology around these people, what they're known for, what their reputation is based on. So Gary Kemp has always been known as a bit of a control freak, as a guy who's always like, I wrote the songs in Spandau Ballet. I deserve more money. I deserve more acclaim. And he totally goes for that. Like, I love it because they both send themselves up so brilliantly, which is Martin was like the pretty boy and Gary was the talent. There's a whole thing about them having this new company where they kind of manage people. Turns out they only manage each other and they turn up to the office, which is actually, it turns out, a co-working hot desking space. They get out their fate like <laughs> shit awards, put them on this this desk that they're hot desking in. Um, and it's just, I mean, I love the kind of self-awareness that they're showing, but it's also really, really fucking random. There's this whole, like, Ken Russell bit. Um, then there's, like, a whole thing about um, Gary launching a meat substitute called Wong. Um, that's just <laughs> random. There's a brilliant bit where they um, break into a um, radio station accidentally to try and get their new song played. There's a whole thing about Gary Kemp's artwork, and he's like, hey, I only agreed to do this to talk about my art. I found it so brilliantly random in places. Like there's all of that kind of broad brushstroke stuff that, you know, is part of a spoof documentary, riffing on kind of old um, rivalries and um, stuff that's out there in the public domain. But these other bits, which were just incredibly like 
eccentric and weird and random those were the bits that really really made me laugh like just and something stupid like oh this is our brother Roskeb the the other one just that over and over again just kept making me laugh my head off i watched this last night and i immediately wanted to watch it again and um i know it's everything that you hate james you literally look like um you want to throw yourself out the window <laughs> i had such a good time with this i cannot tell you oh my god i'm so pleased you liked it i, I this is like this is like a dream um, project for me because first of all this is my actual copy this is my copy of Spandau Ballet's hey. Diamond second album from 1982 so this is 30 this is nearly 40 years old and um, and I also got to interview Gary and Martin Kemp and Reese Thomas for the BBC launch of this so I am bias it was one of the greatest moments of my life and um, I'm a huge fan of Reese Thomas so he do- as well as the the shows you mentioned um, you know the Brian Pern thing. He also did an actual documentary about Freddie Mercury, like a serious yes, documentary he's a massive Queen about fan, Freddie Mercury. He? Yeah, huge Queen fan. And he does every year now. He does this a year in the life of a year show on BBC Two, which is like a piss take of looking back at the year, which has all those random elements. He uses archive and clips and stuff, and, and creates his own spoof archive. Sometimes where you can't tell the difference, like the spoof J- Doctor Who bit in this, where a chair eats someone, is <laughs> fucking hilarious. And um, so some there are moments where you're not quite sure what is real and what is what is totally stupid fictional nonsense and that he does that brilliantly and he will yeah his brilliance is he will do whatever is is whatever he thinks will work for a gag so there's like there's throwaway gags there's spoof sketches there's um as you say the whole the whole thing is spoofing the whole idea of a documentary of bands and all bands i think gary martin kemp said this all bands end up falling out resentful particularly when there's like a songwriter gary kemp does write all the songs there's loads of jokes about that and tony hadley the singer was you know there's it does mind that whole idea of of bands always falling out and i don't know if you saw recently there was a documentary on bbc on saturday night about boomtown rats Mm. and bob geldof that honestly was one of the funniest things i've seen apart from this that in that show it had some moments where every, all the members of the band were filmed extensively with an actual rat crawling over their face and it was like <laughs> something out of a reese thomas spoof documentary and i agree this i've watched this three times now and i love it i can't get enough of it it's just stupid it's silly see her walking into things because oh she's got her <laughs> she's got her hair in front of her eyes guy. <laughs> Rag and bone guy, <laughs> just and just moments like there are stupid little moments like one Bruce Thomas in his in his um, narration he talks about who do you think you are and he says who do you think that you are yeah <laughs> just yeah. that edition of the that yeah they're just things like that that are like so brilliant throwaway funny moments it's I thought it was relentlessly funny and I and I've already seen I've also seen people who have said oh I don't know why you think it's funny this thing I've seen people already other journalists on Twitter who've seen it um in, in preview but I, I can't get enough of it I thought it's absolutely hilarious and I love every minute of it James so as you know <laughs> my tolerance for stupidity is quite low now this is very very stupid and I didn't want to watch it. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm only peripherally aware of the things that the Kemps have done since Spandau Ballet. I've never watched EastEnders. I don't know a lot of these things. I don't even remember. I, I probably have seen The Craze, but I do not remember it. Now, oh, you've got to see The Craze. Now. Oh, and it uses, it uses the same fun and design the that The yeah, Craze did. Yes. It's brilliant. Yeah. I'm, 
I noticed the typographical <laughs> reference. So what's that? Now, this started, and I was like, because I bear in mind, like mockumentaries aren't my thing either on any level. So I don't particularly enjoy them. Do you not like Spinal Tap? <sighs> I, I don't love it as much as everyone else loves it. I'm just not. It's just, it's it not a genre that really okay. speaks to me. Uh, you know, humour. Okay. So. So, <laughs> however, 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 look, this started, and it's just there's the deadpan delivery when he introduces them, and he goes, uh, first up we have, and he goes, Gary Gloria Hunniford Kemp was born, and I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> and then he goes on to introduce Martin Luther Kemp, and I was like, okay, 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 hang on, I'm paying attention now. And against my every possible fibre of my being, I found this quite amusing. Like, just little Yay. lines. It's like, wasn't he married to Patsy Kenzie? And the guy goes, everyone was married to Patsy Kenzit. <laughs> and then they start talking about the famous peg wars of 1880. And I'm oh like, my God. this is just yeah. deranged. But I think what makes this yeah. work is the two of them lean into this a hundred percent with no ego and absolutely no problems with with amplifying the absurdity of who they are and they have so much fun with this and they commit so much that you can't help liking both of them the way they bicker and they send each other up and they make themselves look like knobs and it's just it's really enjoyable so yeah weirdly i mean i'm not going to pretend i was like laughing out loud all the way through this but i chuckled a couple of times and i actively enjoyed it pretty much all the way through and it's funny because i'm normally that guy where people are laughing at things i'm like i don't understand where the humor is i genuinely don't see how anyone finds this like that's me that is my role in life however i saw where this was funny like i can see that this is funny mm. and i think it's those two that do it did it and i think if you'd had this written the same way and and made the same way but they were maybe a little bit more self-conscious the whole thing dies on its ass i think mm. it completely hinges on their absolute willingness to make themselves look like bellends and i applaud that wholeheartedly so you know mm. martin and gary kemp i salute you but gary and um, what amazes me is is martin kemp's always been kind of up for it and has done other stuff and gary's always had this reputation for years of being a bit of a stick in the mud and taking himself super seriously um and the extent to which he sends himself up and allows himself to have the piss ripped out of him is just incredible. I mean, like, oh, my God. I, oh, I'm going to watch it again mm. this afternoon. Just brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Just watch yeah. it. It's so good. It's so great. And Yeah. And I think they're going to. I think they'll do more because I think yeah they know there's more um, more to be mined in this area. It's, there's so much, it's so rich. Like you know, there's, they managed to get the, the MCU spoof bit oh in where God. Martin wants to create his own gangster universe and stuff like See, that. This- you know, they were just like the Wanch thing is a whole staker, isn't it? Of you know, yeah. goop and everything. It's there's so there is it packs in a huge amount. Like my main thing from watching this is I could totally see this as a trip to Greece slash curb your enthusiasm type ongoing. Mm series just yeah. charting their like yeah. little exploits each but yeah. i can totally see that working um yeah. so yeah hopefully yeah. they will they will do so, something yeah. else with this but but they love doing it yeah they absolutely love doing it so hopefully they'll where and when does this air boyd this is on sunday on bbc2 at 10 o'clock 10 o'clock on sunday so and that's sunday, the, sunday wherever that date is uh, for, like the, the something, something of july yes. <laughs> sunday of july, the something correct. of july <laughs> excellent <laughs> 
Right. So, ooh, I mean, I guess I can I can guess what your particular picks of the week will be. The Kemps. All about the Kemps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spandau Bally. Spandau Bally. Uh, mine would probably be Hannah in this particular instant, but I'll, I'll let you off on the Kemps as not being an outrageous thing to suggest. Um, do have we missed anything this week? Is there anything else out this week, boy, that people should know about? I don't think there was. It wasn't. A, I mean, no, it's not a bumper week. No, it week. wasn't a huge week. Um, I don't think. No, I don't think there is anything really, unless you're a big fan of Supervet Noel Fitzpatrick yeah, on that. Channel Four. Dark, I mentioned. Dark was what I mentioned, but that so Dark season three of Dark drops on Saturday. Weirdly, okay. I mean, I don't, I've no, never known any Netflix <laughs> thing, but that yeah, that'll be all there by the time this podcast goes out on Monday. And Dark fans will be incredibly excited about that. It's a huge kind of global cult phenomenon, I think. Okay, well, that is it for this week's reviews. Time now for the Banshee segment, where we take an old, no longer airing show, dredge it out and iron out the creases for your modern day enjoyment. Uh, I'm going to kick off this week, because why not? Uh, and I'm going to start with another Gene Roddenberry offcut. So there was a period, uh, obviously, Gene, Gene Roddenberry, when, when Star Trek, the first Star Trek was originally cancelled, he came up, he noodled a lot of ideas, he sketched down some ideas for loads of different shows, none of which got made. Now, after he died, Major Barrett, uh, his wife, found a lot of these ideas and repurposed them and they ended up forming this was the first one so so they ended up forming a bunch of tv shows and the first of these i believe was earth final conflict which ran for five seasons and i believe the success of this actually led to andromeda which was not good uh also being made but this uh this aired in 1997 uh, and the whole idea was that this this alien race the talons came to earth it was a bit v-esque uh, you know, under the guise of being friendly aliens they called themselves the companions uh but really had a kind of a, a nefarious agenda and uh this is an odd one, this, because you talk about the cast of this. This was a show that almost reinvented its cast every season because everyone fucking left. Like, genuinely, everyone got killed off in this. So it was a complete reinvention every year. Uh, and the last year, the, fi- the fifth year, there was a complete new alien race in it as well. It was almost like a different show. But when this began, it had Kevin Kilner in, in, in the lead role as a police officer who uh, who gets recruited as a tail-on protector, as like their bodyguard. And they put this little alien thing on his wrist called a Skrill, which shoots lasers, things. And he has this thing put into his brain brain which kind of uh, uh enhances his gives him photographic memory and stuff but also is supposed to kind of shape the way it's got a motivational imperative it's supposed to control the way he thinks but they have it modified anyway the plot of the show really doesn't matter suffice it to say it's got weird aliens in it the second season brings in a more sinister alien called Zaor uh, and and they sort of, they 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 integrate tail on technology and culture into human life and they're gradually sort of taking over in a very insidious kind of inside out uh, alien invasion thing uh, it's not good I can't recommend it I don't really think you should watch it but <laughs> I'm bringing it up because it's one of those interesting sort of stepping stone shows that paved the way for other ones. But I genuinely cannot, in all good conscience, recommend anyone watch Earth Final Conflict. But um, Von Flores, who I very much enjoyed this, is Ronald Sandoval. He's like the main antagonist. He was like the evil tail on pr- uh, protector. And he, I think, is the only cast member who made it from season one to season five, was the villain, which is kind of hilarious. And everyone else left. Like the, the main guy, Boone, died at the end of season one, is replaced by a kind of half alien hybrid called Liam and it's just yeah I mean it's nonsense but uh, yeah Earth Final Conflict Terry you should have to watch all this for everyone's amusement but uh, yeah that was a show that sounds rubbish yeah it kind of was <laughs> I can't deny it I'll go next um, uh, so um, I'm kind of stretching the rules of Banshee um, oh god as I as you know I like to do so this is something um, that I stumbled upon on iPlayer 
they um, have a collection called Black and British, and it's a collection of, I think it's about 40 programs in it, exploring black British narratives. And within it was this thing called Brain in Gear. Now, Brain in Gear is a comedy show. It's from last year and it was, um, they the BBC released these, I think there were four comedy shorts from female comedians which were released last year. There was um, Lolly Adafope in there, Diane Morgan, um, Lazy Susan, no, yeah, yeah, Lazy Susan. And then this last one, Brain and Gear, which is by Gemi Solar Ikemulo. And it is genius. And it's only a one-off comedy short from what I can tell. And it's on iPlayer at the moment. But I it started playing and it's just incredible. So it, the setup is that it's kind of this flat share comedy. Um, but the people living in this flat, there's only one actual person and the other two are her alter egos. So essentially, you know, she's got this alter ego. It's it's based on voices in your head and she's got this alter ego, one of which is kind of quite meek and quite guilt-ridden and quite introspective. Um, and on her other shoulder, so to speak, is is somebody who's more outrageous um, and more confident. And she's stuck in the middle as these two competing voices um, kind of go at it in her head. And there's like a, a confrontation with a, a neighbour from hell. And it's just like, I'm not doing it justice at all because it is incredibly brilliantly funny and i don't know if it's going to be made into a um full series or if it was commissioned i tried to do a bit of research and i couldn't see any indication that it had um it's just brilliant like so funny if you want to check it out it is on iplayer in um this black and british collection um give it a watch it's brilliant that's my banshee is it allowed? Oh yeah, totally. And I think it's been nominated for a BAFTA as well. In, yeah, in, um, so, yeah. So she Best she short got form. She, yeah she got nominated for a BAFTA for it. And I think it's part of you know, um, I think the releasing these comedy shorts in that that way. That's where kind of the mind of Herbert Clunkadunk was released um, yeah. in that similar way. And I think she's also she's incredible. So she um, also got a BAFTA nom for her work on uh, Famalam, which is another BBC sketch show. And she was also as an actor in The Last Tree, um, which itself I think won a biffer. Um, so she's obviously incredibly, incredibly talented. So um, check it out, iPlayer. Yeah, she's she's brilliant. Yeah. I've done a Banshee, which is um, a kind of James style, quite famous show really that shouldn't really be because it's too famous in itself. But, and I, and I, we might, my, my Mad Fat Diary, we haven't, have we done it before in this in this. It's it's entirely placeable. We've certainly mentioned it before. So, well, I'd, we've mentioned it before, but I thought I'd do it, and, and I was reminded of it because the thing, the thing that, so the element of it is quite a famous show. It went on E4. It was adapted from Rael's um, books, which were um, like diaries of a young um, teenage teenager dealing with body issues and played by Sham Rooney but her best friend was played by Jodie Comer and that's mm. what I, I completely forgot about that until we were, I was I, I just I clicked on it so it's on all four it's all there um on on Sky box sets and all four and uh, now TV etc and she's brilliant as her, as her best mate Jodie Comer it's also got Ian Hart as a dad it's which is fantastic uh, who's brilliant in everything Nico Miralegro's in it as her kind of 
that kind of love interest who's all, who's who's also great and everything and it was just a really inventive one of the most inventive bold honest fearless teenage dramas mm. um, um of recent years and every, and it, had, it would use like the illustrations she'd do in her diaries it's kind of like almost like fantasy animated moments it was incredibly um it felt incredibly authentic and real and true and i thought it was a brilliant show so yeah my mad fat diary i've never seen that but i've heard very very good things I will, I will at some point watch that. Check it. I shall. Well, that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast and, in all likelihood, the last one to feature Spandau Ballet. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a five-star <laughs> rating on Apple Podcasts, that would be very much appreciated. You can even leave a comment like Dave from Barton, who said, even when I think they're talking rubbish, it's entertaining, consistent rubbish. Well, you can't say fairer than that. I will, of course, never stop flogging our social media handles until all of you follow us. So, for the record, they are at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. We will be back in your ears next week with yet more televisual treats, but fewer 80s pop comeback mockumentaries. Pilot out.